0: Last week, we started a series called The Spiritual War. So, for what it's worth, we're going to kind of pick up continuing on that series each week. We're going to kind of build off the previous week. And quite frankly, like, I'm going to say some things that might sound fairly off the wall to you if you're not used to them. Uh, and so if you have not yet listened to last week's sermon, it has a lot of the context for what we're working on today. So I really encourage you uh, to go to our website. If you go to abcbartlett.org, uh, there you can click on uh, one of our menus that says Media and Current Sermon Series. If you click on that, it'll take you to the sermon series we're working through now. And at some point this week, you'll be able to go back and listen to last week's sermon because it really does lay some really important groundwork. But I'm kind of going to give some of the ideas, some of the concepts that we took from last week and kind of work those out. So uh, just to remind us, bring to mind some of the big takeaways. So so I really want to point out three key takeaways from last week. Number one, spiritual evil is real like we have to be very clear about that if you look in our world you look at the kind of distressing realities of our world that those things exist because spiritual evil is a real thing the adversary the devil satan whatever you want to call him whatever name you give him he is real demons who follow him are Real. There is a spiritual act, a realm and kind of the activity in that realm affects the physical realm. And this is not just ideas that I have like come up with on my own. But scripture tells us these things and we see the evidence of them in the world around us. So, so that's the first key takeaway is that spiritual evil is real. Number two, uh, the devil and demons, they are created beings Which means that they have the limitations of created beings. So like let's just be really clear about about what that means. Like God is the creator, but like the devil is not a creator, so so he's not like omnipresent. Uh, meaning he is not present everywhere at one time. He is not omnipotent, meaning he is not all-powerful, and he is not omniscient. He is not all-knowing, right? Like, there are kind of realms of power and access that are restricted to him. He is not nearly as powerful as our God is. There's limitations on his power and the power of the demons. So, So that's number two. And then number three, the goal of these spiritual beings is to kind of create chaos and destruction by holding human beings under the sway of lies. By holding human beings under the sway of things that are not true, by pulling them away from the truth. The truth is is who God is, the creator is, how he has established the world, but the goal of these spiritual beings is to sway as many people away from submitting to God as they possibly can, and they do that in the form of lies. They get people to believe lies and pull people away from submission to God, trusting God. So kind of there are so many other things that are true about this reality, but uh, that kind of sets up this week. And those are going to be really important for us as we move forward today. So as we engage God's word, this is what I really want to do. And this morning kind of intentionally how we have built this service is that it would be laced with prayer. And you're going to understand why in just a second. So with all of what I just said, I would really like to pray that the Lord would meet us here. Lord, I am convinced that we have spiritual enemies who desire that we would not know the truth, that we would not stick to the truth, that we would not live that truth out in our lives and in our spheres of influence, that we would be afraid to proclaim that truth to other people. Lord, there's an enemy who wants to keep your church docile. Who wants to keep us complacent? Who wants to stop us from making any tangible or real impact in the world around us? I realize that all of that is true right now. And so in this time, there are so many distractions, uh, so many positions of our heart, so many uh, ways that we might be even inclined to think that will prevent us from hearing your word. Lord, so many things, even in the person delivering the word that would prevent us from hearing your word. And so, Lord, with all of that being true, my prayer this morning is that I would decrease and you would increase and that, uh, Lord, you would clarify your word for the people in this room, that you would kind of open up hearts and open up ears and give us ears to hear the things that you desire to speak from your word this morning. Lord, undo the work of the enemy in this time of worship that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today we are talking about laws and rules for how the spiritual war is fought. So, uh, so to kind of set us up for this, I want to talk about laws that you can break and laws that you can't break. Okay, so, so here are some laws that you can break. You can break the speed limit. In fact, some of you broke the speed limit coming here this morning. That's how confident I am in the fact that you can break the speed limit because I know that many of you did that on your way here this morning. Uh, That doesn't mean you won't get a ticket if you break the speed limit, but you can, in fact, break the the speed limit. Um, So you know what? You can steal things. Like, you can go into somebody else's house, or you can find somebody else's property, and you can steal those things. And even though that is illegal, that is something you can do. Now, here's the reality. If you get caught, you will be liable for what you stole, but you can steal things. Like, most, in fact, most, if not all of the laws inside of our legal system, they are laws that actually can be broken, right? They can be broken. So let's talk about some laws that you can't break you cannot break the law of gravity, right? Like you can't climb up on the roof of the church and decide, oh, there's no gravity today. And like, like you just don't have that ability. No matter how hard you try, you are not going to be able to break it. Like, and so you might say, okay, well, we can fly, you know, we can make jetpacks. I don't know why jetpacks is the thing that I picked, but it is. Uh, we can, but we can't actually like break the law of gravity, you can't break the first law of thermodynamics. So just in case you're wondering, energy is only converted. It is not created or destroyed. You, no matter how hard you tried, you cannot break the first law of thermodynamics. Right? There are laws governing, governing the physical world that absolutely by no means can, they cannot be broken. So, now, so, You might have even in you a particularly rebellious spirit. But I don't care how rebellious you are, you are not going to be able to break these particular laws. So, uh, so these same concepts apply to the spiritual realm. Right, there are rebellious spirits, we talked about this last week, rebellious spirits who have rejected God's rule. They have done things that go against God's heart. And we, can, uh, we often think of them as lawbreakers, lawbreakers who have been assigned a particular punishment, right? And they continue to be rebellious in the things that they do. But then there's the reality that, like, inside the spiritual realm, there are spiritual laws that exist. And these laws are very similar to physics, right? Like, uh, they can't be broken, which means that kind of the application of these laws has, they really have nothing to do with how rebellious the spirits are. Like these laws are kind of neutral and they govern the realities of the spiritual realm. So this is kind of the governing principle that we're going to move forward with this morning. This is kind of what grounds these laws. What physics is to the visible realm, authority is to the invisible realm. Authority is like the physics of the spiritual realm. So, uh, so we're going to kind of dig into how this plays out in the Bible, but understanding these laws of authority is very important for two main reasons. Number one, they reflect the gravity of what we are dealing with in the spiritual war. As we talk about authority and consider authority, they reflect the reality of what we are dealing with. And then number two, they actually clarify the role that we have in spiritual conflict. So uh, our passage today kind of puts these realities on display so again we're in Daniel chapter 10 and kind of just to set things up there's this king and his name is Cyrus and uh, Cyrus is the king of Persia and the the kind of the main character of our story today is Daniel he is uh, kind of in this circumstance where the Jews have been taken captivity into Babylon they've been forced to serve as slaves and just so you understand Babylon's foreign policy the kingdom of Babylon what they have done is they have kind of taken they take people captive that's what they do they bring them to their city. They enculturate them. They kind of indoctrinate them in the way of life of a Babylonian uh, because they want to fully convert them into Babylonians. That's what they do. So the Israelites have been taken captive into Babylon. And Daniel becomes influential in this kingdom of Babylon. He like gets up very high in the ranks and knows the king really, really well, right? He becomes a kind of a friend to the king almost. So so then uh, late in Daniel's life, what happens is that Babylon gets overthrown and along comes this kingdom called Persia, and Persia has a new king, and Cyrus is the king of Persia, and he comes to power, and it just so happens that Cyrus likes Daniel, like the last king did. And and so... Persia's foreign policy is a little different. This is what they do. Instead of taking people captive, they want to kind of send out puppet rulers into the various parts of the known land, and they want to set those rulers up, and they they even send the people back to the the places where they came from, and they kind of rule from a distance. That's the way Persia functions. And, And so the Jewish people have actually been sent back to Jerusalem, some of them. And, and they go back and, and they want to rebuild Jerusalem. They want to rebuild the temple. And so Cyrus, he, he kind of lets these Jews go back home and begin to rebuild the temple. And then there was kind of this conflict. And this is, this is what becomes important. Um, the, the, the people who were against Jerusalem, they were coming into Jerusalem and they were kind of disrupting the building of the temple. They were bringing in parties to kind of uh, sack Jerusalem. And uh, the people who were there were facing a lot of challenges. And so like, they weren't able to complete the building of the temple. They had to set up guards. They had to kind of get an army established in Jerusalem to prevent these people who were coming to attack. So all of that sets the background for a vision that Daniel has. And in that vision, he sees this awful, horrible conflict. And what he is convinced of when he sees that conflict is that his people who have just been sent back to Jerusalem are going to be absolutely wiped out and destroyed. That's what he believes. He believes after Cyrus has sent them back that, that it's all going to be useless, that his people are going to be absolutely destroyed. And as you can imagine, I'm sure, is incredibly distressed by this. That sets up where we're at in Daniel chapter 10 verse 2 uh in verse two it says this in those days i daniel was mourning for three weeks he's got this like distress this pit in his stomach this thing this awful thing that he has witnessed and it is just crippling him to the deepest level so verse three it says i ate no delicacies no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So, so have you ever been so distressed to the point that you could not eat even if you tried? Like that's what's happening for Daniel right now. He is so distressed that he can't actually eat. I've been there like a couple of times in my life. You were crippled that literally, like the, literally the only thing that you know how to do is like constantly be praying Because you don't know how to control your emotions and your feelings and your body. You just know that you need the Lord to intervene and do something. Like, and if I'm being honest, like probably some of the most passionate prayers of my life have come out of those times. And that's where Daniel is. And he's not just there for like one or two days, but he is there for three weeks. This is devastating for him. So, verse four of chapter 10. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river Tigris. So this is Daniel in the middle of his distress. He hasn't eaten for three weeks. And verse five, I lifted up my eyes and look. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. So in the middle of this horror that Daniel is experiencing and that he is praying over, he sees something remarkable. Now remember, last week, last week we heard God kind of talk about Satan and the way Satan was before he fell, how remarkable Satan was, how uh, kind of adorned and beautiful, like all of the kinds of jewels that he was clothed in and dressed in. The idea is that this, is the, this spiritual being is very striking, and again, we see a spiritual being here who is incredibly striking. So much so that like, if you keep reading, uh, Daniel has a couple of people with him Uh, And Daniel is the only one that can see this angel, this spiritual being. The other people can't see this spiritual being, but they run away. Like they feel something so intense, even though they can't see this thing, that they cannot bear even being there. They have to flee away. They start trembling. They can't understand what's happening. So there is a gravity about the presence of this being. So look at what happens in verse 9. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So just take note this spiritual being is a being with a message, he has words to share with Daniel. This is how we know that this is an angel. Not all spiritual beings are angels for what it's worth. Angels are messengers. That's literally what the word angel means. And so I've been, I've been hesitant. I've always been using the word spiritual being. I've been hesitant to say angel because not all spiritual beings are angels. Because we typically think of angels as like being on the good side, on God's side, and demons being on the devil's side. And I get that. But there are all types of spiritual beings that are on God's side. And not all spiritual beings are angels. So, so here in the middle of his distress, and Daniel, for what it's worth, he's like 80 years old now. He's very old, and he has this angelic encounter. And what transpires from this point is one of the most unusual experiences in all of Scripture. Like, what happens next? There's nothing like it. So, so as we watch, we're going to discover... Four insights about spiritual authority. Remember, that's what governs the spiritual realm, spiritual authority that we see in this exchange between Daniel and the angel. So Daniel 10 verses 10 through 11. So verse 10 says this, Behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So again, this is a powerful encounter. This shows Daniel. This being is frightening. He is not to be messed with. You don't want to mess with the power in this being that is being clarified in this moment. So verse 11, it says, He said to me, Oh Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for Now I have been sent to you. So so the angel starts by making his power incredibly visible. He establishes his authority. But what's the first thing that he says after that? He doesn't give Daniel direction. He doesn't say, uh, Daniel, I'm here to answer your prayer. He doesn't say, Daniel, I've got something else to tell you. What does he say? He tells Daniel, Daniel, you are greatly loved. I've been sent from somewhere. But the first thing that you need to know is that in my sending, you have not been forgotten. In fact, you are highly recognized by God. You are loved. So quick note, we're going to talk this morning about a lot of pragmatics of the spiritual realm. Things that function in the spiritual realm. But we need to be aware that the spiritual battle continues to rage in part because of love. Like, love has something to do with the reason the spiritual battle continues to rage. God loves people, and he allows this battle to continue to rage because he wants to see people redeemed. Like, God greatly loves people who are seeking his purposes. That is true, and it's actually, like, part of what is fueling even the continuation of the spiritual battle. So, uh, verse 12 says this. It says, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words. When he's saying the first day, he's literally talking about the day that Daniel got the horrible vision. The vision that he thought was God's people being wiped out. The first day that Daniel could not eat another thing. The first day that he began praying. Where he starts trying to grasp what God is saying. Where he starts trying to understand God's heart. And he lets all of that kind of influence the way that he prays. It's interesting, you know, Daniel, all the way through his time in Babylon and in these other kingdoms, he knows that in the midst of all of this, they cannot abandon prayer. Like the king actually made an edict that said, uh, you need to abandon prayer. You can't pray anymore. And Daniel was like, no, I I actually can't do that. There are a lot of things that I can do to help the kingdom of Babylon, but I cannot stop praying. Like, he wouldn't break God's law, right? All of these things are true. He wanted to stay faithful to God and he wanted to continue to pray in the midst of all of this. And so what we see time and time again with Daniel is that he is a person who knows God's heart really, really well. And that in knowing God's heart, he seeks him constantly and prayer. So even in captivity, he wants his life to be an honor to God. So he has kind of set his heart to these things, and and in the midst of doing all of this, the angel looks at him and he says, "Okay. So after this vision, that day that you started praying, I want you to know, as soon as, soon as the words left your mouth, I was out. I was sent. God sent me to come and help you. As soon as the words left your mouth. So, okay." First insight about spiritual authority this morning is this. God honoring prayer taps into the highest authority. God-honoring prayer taps into the highest authority. You want to talk about how the spiritual realm functions, what our part in that is? This is probably the most significant part right here. God-honoring prayer taps into the highest spiritual authority. God is waiting for people who know his heart, who love him, to seek him in prayer. So he sees that with Daniel. This principle holds true throughout Scripture, by the way. We watch Moses and the way Moses prays and the way that God answers Moses' prayer. We watch Elijah, the way that he prays, how God does what he asks. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this will be given to you. What's true in all of these cases? Hearts are aligned with God's heart, seeking God's purposes to be carried out. And so then they pray God-honoring prayers, and God responds to them. So whatever is true about authority in the spiritual realm, what you need to know is that when you pray, as you follow God, as you walk in the Spirit, as you adopt God's heart, you are calling on the highest spiritual authority, the Creator Himself, to intervene. And He is waiting for people to call on Him to intervene. Like so, so just a quick note. Like, what a blessing from God that that what that that's simply what is required. Is that we would adopt his heart and pray his heart to him. So if you look in the book of 1 Kings, it's really interesting. Elijah is there, and it's kind of Elijah and his God versus the prophets of Baal and uh, their God, right? And so it's God versus Baal. And all of these prophets, they're, they're, there's kind of this competition. They're, they're trying to figure out who can get fire to show up first. And so so these prophets of Baal, do you know what they do to get fire to show up? Do you know what they have to do? What their religion requires them to do to get fire to show up? They have to do self-mutilation. They have to kind of dance and put their body into all of these weird uh, gyrations. They have to speak various kinds of incantations. Uh, and they are at this work for hours Like, they just keep going and keep going and keep going, and you know what doesn't happen. Fire does not come. And so then Elijah, by himself, there are 450 of them and one of him, he builds an altar, and he says to the 450, hey, why don't you go, um, could you go get some water and pour it on my altar? And then could you do that another time, and then another time after that? Three times they poured water on his altar, and what does he do he prays and the the altar lights up right fire falls from heaven and consumes the altar right so like what a blessing is it that we don't have to like perform all sorts of awful works or self-mutilation like god says simply pray and by doing that we tap in to the highest spiritual authority so let's consider what happens next Daniel has been uh, praying, and remember uh, the angel was sent the moment that he started praying. So here's a, a reasonable question. If he was sent kind of the moment that Daniel started praying, why was Daniel then distressed for three weeks? We get the answer in verse 13. It says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So the angel says, I would have come to you instantly, but there is a problem with where you are located. Remember, Daniel is like in the middle of the kingdom of Persia, you're right in the middle of the Persian Empire, and this prince of Persia, remember, so, so these, uh, all of this conversation about rulers and people in charge, this prince of Persia, he's a ruler, but he's not a man. This angel is talking about a powerful spiritual being, and for what it's worth, this is likely the devil himself. And so so he is there in Persia. And why is he there? Well, Persia just so happens to be the most powerful nation on earth. And then we get these words about the kings of Persia. Who are they? Uh, Given the context, it's very likely that these are other demonic beings under the charge of this prince of Persia, right? So all of this kind of action is happening in the middle of this place called Persia. The second insight that we get about spiritual authority is this. Demonic authority regularly seizes control of nations. As you look at kind of the story of scripture, this is one of the key highlights of the story. Demonic authority regularly seizes control of nations, and we'll kind of consider this reality further as we work through this series, but it seems common for demons and their authority to to take control of national authorities and kingdoms and governments and courts, and somehow by doing this, they're able to accomplish more destruction and confusion in working this way. So, so Persia is this place where this demonic authority is particularly concentrated, and the angel says, like, the, like, I tried to get to where you are, but I was taken prisoner. Like, I could not cross to where you are. There was something keeping me back. I was held up. I couldn't advance. There were authorities preventing me from delivering God's answer, and so I couldn't break free until Michael came along. We'll talk about what that weird part means in just a second. Uh, so verse 14, so it says, I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. So this has all been about a prayer that Daniel has. Daniel is very concerned. He's worried that his people are gonna be wiped out. And angel comes and says, listen, the vision that you had, it's not happening right now to set your heart at ease. Here's God's answer to your prayer. This is not happening right now. This is for something to happen later in the future. Okay, so then the, the interaction continues in its unique qualities. Verse 15, so when he had spoken to me these words, I turned my face toward the ground and I was mute. So remember, Daniel's like 80 years old. He hasn't eaten for three weeks has no like nutrients in his body he is incredibly distressed we all know what stress does to your body right so this is all going on like he's mute yes partially because of this like massive spiritual experience but part of the reason he can't talk is that he's just like physically incredibly weak at this point point. and behold one in the likeness of children of the children of man touched my lips this is the angel and the angel touches his lips so, so uh, it says. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, "O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision pains that have come upon me, uh, I retain no strength." Verse 17, how can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For for now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. He's basically saying like, I want to be able to respond to you. I want to be able to interact, but I'm so weak and you are so powerful. And you have this weight to you that is massive. And I can like, I can barely breathe anymore. So then in 18, it says again, one, having the appearance of man touched me. So not only does he touch his lips, but he touched me and strengthened me. And he said, "O oh man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Our third insight about spiritual authority this morning is this, God permits spiritual beings' authority to impact physical realities. God permits spiritual beings authority to impact physical reality. So here with Daniel, we see this angel. And and this angel actually does for what it's worth what all spiritual beings were created to do. The book of Hebrews talks about them as ministering spirits, right? They they were sent to aid and minister to serve. They serve human beings, encourage them, strengthen them, and that's what this angel comes and does. And, Imagine Daniel after suffering for three weeks straight. He can't even eat anything. He can barely speak. And then this angel comes and then instantly resolves all of the kind of physical trauma on his body from the last three weeks. What an encouragement must that have been. So, This angel apparently has authority to touch and heal Daniel. For what it's worth, this is a pattern that we see in other places in the Bible. And it's not just with good spiritual beings. right? In in the book of Job, the Satan, the adversary in the book of Job, he approaches God and he basically says, Hey God, this guy Job is righteous, but the only reason that he's righteous is because you've made his life really easy. So I want to prove to you how bad of a person he is. I want want you to let me go touch his life and and let things start falling apart around him. And you know what God does? God permits the Satan, the enemy, to do that, to go and bring calamity on Job's life. So, So these two stories kind of stand against each other, and what did both of them establish for us? They established the reality that God somehow grants authority for these spiritual beings to impact the physical world and sometimes impact them in very significant ways. Okay, so one more insight from this, verses 20 and 21. Verse 20, it says, Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia when I go out. Behold, the prince of Greece will come, too. So it's a little bit of a party. Uh, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Okay, so now we're going to deal with this Michael thing. So remember, the angel was trapped in Persia until Michael came along. And then once Michael came, he was somehow able to be set free. So what does this show us? I think what it shows us, and what this seems to show us, is that there is like somehow kind of a spiritual org chart that exists. Like there is, a, so so God is in the highest authority, right? But then He is designated a kind of significantly high authority to certain spiritual beings. A- And some of those spiritual beings are good, and some of those spiritual beings aren't. And then there are uh, kind of spiritual beings under them that have a level of spiritual authority, and spiritual beings under them that have a level of spiritual authority. And so this angel who has come to deliver this message, apparently he doesn't have enough authority to make it beyond the prince of Persia. But then Michael comes along, and Michael does have enough authority. He is somehow able to break him out from uh, these other spiritual beings. So, kind of the last insight, that well, and this whole thing about the Prince of Greece uh, coming in, and uh, he's going to do battle with the Prince of Persia. What this kind of tells us is that these demonic spiritual forces, they're... They're not just competing against God's people. They're competing with each other. They're trying to see how high they can lift themselves up above each other. But Michael and and this other angel are going to do battle. They're going to do something that will challenge the authority of these other spiritual beings. And so the fourth insight about spiritual authority is this. Spiritual battle is won and lost based on authority. Okay, so these are kind of insights about what causes the spiritual realm to function. I want to give us two so-whats this morning. Number one, if only we would pray. Like, so you might hear this story and go, are demons preventing my prayers from getting answered? And I might go, okay, maybe. Maybe. But by and large, I would wager that the vast majority of us have only skimmed the surface of the kind of praying that we can do that will actually move heaven. Right? Because if you're a Christian, there are two realities that are true for you that were not true for Daniel. Number one, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. That was not true for Daniel. He has taken up residence inside of you, which means that the one who has the highest authority is living in you. And then, number two, something happened after the cross of Jesus. The blood of Jesus actually bound the authority of the Spirit's. So that if they were incredibly powerful before Jesus died, their power has weakened in this time for the gospel to be able to go forward. Right. So the point that we live in salvation history actually gives the prayers of God's people more authority than they have ever had at any other time. Like we have a special time that God is seeking to act in the world right now and he's waiting for people to pray. So... You know, like, what's true? My neighbors are stuck under the weight of the spiritual darkness that we have been talking about, under the authority of the spiritual darkness that we've been talking about. And you know what kind of this is telling me right now? This is telling me that I actually, like, I have the authority because the Holy Spirit is living in me and because the blood of Jesus is bound, the strong man, he's bound the dark spiritual forces right now, I have the authority to walk around my neighborhood and call on heaven to impact the realities of my neighbors. And you know what God says that he will do when I start praying that way? He will start disrupting things. He might give somebody a dream. Might encounter somebody else to run into somebody that they wouldn't have, but they have a conversation that opens them up to spiritual things. Right, you don't know what God is going to do with those prayers, but I feel like so many of us are just like not engaging. We're not walking, but if we called on the forces of heaven, what would God do to impact the reality of our neighbors? So go for prayer walks around your neighborhood. Maybe like maybe spend some time fasting and like really laboring in prayer. For God to bring something about for you, for your church, for the people that you're involved with, for the people that you're trying to bring the gospel to. James 5.16 says this, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, So as I tell you to pray, like maybe one of the things you need to do as you go into prayer is like you need to spend a season in confession and repentance. Right? like Because maybe your heart is out of alignment with God's heart. Maybe your actions are out of alignment with what God wants for you. And uh, What this says is that as you confess your sins to one another and as you pray for one another, you will be healed. God is waiting to answer the prayers of those who are righteous, those who are obedient. God is waiting for people to read his word and understand his heart and understand how they want him or, or how he wants them to pray. He who is in rules can actually like compete with it at the end of the day. So uh, military might, if you're dealing with spiritual authority versus military might, spiritual authority wins out every time. So First uh, John 4, 3 and 4, it says this. It says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So all of these spirits, all of these spiritual influences, they are all leading somewhere. And if that direction is not towards Christ, then these are demonic spirits. They're gaining influence in the world. They're manipulating kingdoms, destroying nations, creating chaos. And here's the reality. If you haven't gotten anything, like maybe you got this. They are incredibly powerful. Incredible levels of authority. Verse 4 says this, though. Little children, it's, it's like so ironic that he would address the people that he's about to say, what he's about to say, he would address them as little children. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Right? Those who trust in Jesus, what we're told is that we can actually stand against these powerful beings. James says it like this. He says, submit to God and resist the devil. And you know what has to happen when you resist him? You don't flee from him. You stand your ground. And you know what has to happen? He has to flee from you. So, uh, so the picture that you get is you step into a place where spiritual darkness has authority. And you stand your ground in Jesus and and you actually, you contain in you because you have the Holy Spirit in you and you have the blood of Jesus covering you. You have the authority to have demons flee from in front of you. Why? Well, it's not because you're anything special, but because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside of you and he is the highest authority in all of creation. So when it says greater is he who is in you, that is a statement about authority. It's a statement about the governing realities that exist in the spiritual realm. And so then one day, he who is in you is going to return. And you know what he's going to do? His authority is going to be so incredible that he will speak one word. And in speaking that one word, the authority of the devil and his demons will in an instant be undone once and for all. Jesus is the highest authority and church, the good news this morning is that he wins. So pray. Like, walk forward in his authority. Seek to see the darkness undone in your spheres of influence. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, you are stronger and greater and higher than every spiritual power that exists. And sometimes our hearts are not convinced of it. Sometimes we are afraid. Sometimes we are anxious. Sometimes we are kind of stuck, turning over in the same sins over and over and over again. Lord, I pray that you would draw people out of that this morning. Lead us to confession and repentance, to trust in you because you are the greatest authority and you give us authority over every other spiritual being. Lord, you want to do a work in the people around us. You want to do a work inside of hearts. You want to draw people to faith in you, Lord. You want to do something greater in this kind of two to three to five mile radius around this church. Lord, you want to make an impact. So, Lord, whatever you have to do inside of our hearts to make us those who would resist the devil and have him flee from in front of us. Lord, do it. I pray for a spirit of repentance. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would prompt inside of hearts and minds things that we continue to struggle with. Would you lead us? Lead whoever's hearing this, whoever needs to step away, lead them away. Lord, lead them to repentance. Show them your goodness. Lord, increase the spiritual power and authority that comes out of the people who call Alliance Bible Church home. Lord, you said the prayers of righteous people have great power as they are working. Lord, show us what it looks like to walk in righteousness so that we might see prayers do mighty things in the world around us.